as we've uh, just sung, that God's will, God's law is our delight. We'll now read the Apostle Paul expressing something very similar in Romans chapter 7. Our sermon today focuses on the law of God, and so we consider the law of God as a delight. Romans chapter 7 is our reading. Romans chapter 7, the whole chapter. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if uh, while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God." For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, You shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was once alive without the law. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, producing in me death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, 
It is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Now I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God, according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death. I thank God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So far, the reading from God's holy word. We turn now to Lord's Day 2. The sermon this afternoon comes from the Word of God, as you find it summarized there in Lord's Day 2. Let's read that Lord's Day now. Each point of the sermon is taken from one of these question and answers. From where do you know your sins and misery? From the law of God. What does God's law require of us? Christ teaches us this in a summary in Matthew 22. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Can you keep all this perfectly? No. I'm inclined by nature to hate God and my neighbor. I'd encourage you to keep Romans chapter 7 open as we work through God's word. As summarized in the catechism, we'll be referring back to Romans 7 quite frequently. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, the truth of Lord's Day 2 is something that's a little surprising, something that you might not expect, and that truth is this. If you want to lead a life of joy and comfort, then you will first need to spend some time dwelling on your failure, your sin, your misery. We need to consider our weakness our inabilities, our shortcomings. Christian joy comes through the realization of the evil in your own heart. Sounds, sounds bleak. Maybe it sounds a little back to front. But this is the surprising truth of Scripture. You will not find lasting joy unless you recognize the darkness, the wickedness that remains in your own heart. The Catechism is bringing us into this knowledge, this dwelling on our sin and misery for a moment. And that's the path we have to travel 
according to Lord's Day 1. In Lord's Day 1, we begin with that well-known, that blessed comfort in life and death, knowing that we are Christ's, we are redeemed in Him. But after that, there's an important question. If I truly have this comfort, if that's a real thing, how do I know and enjoy it? How do I actually know and experience that profound comfort described in Lord's Day 1? The answer is this. We must know three things. First, if you want real comfort, you need to know how to live in thankfulness. You need to know how we are redeemed. But before all of that, before any of that, we have to know our sin and our misery. And this is where Lord's Day 2 picks up. There is just one route that leads to true Christian joy and everlasting comfort. And the first stop on that route is knowledge of your sin and misery. I have the privilege to preach to you the Word of God with this theme. God comforts His people by revealing their sin and misery in the law. And we'll see first what the Lord does And second, what the law requires. And third, why I can't keep it. First then, what the law does. What does the law do? It reveals our sin and misery. It shows us our sin. And that's why Lord's Day 2 begins by teaching that we know our sin and misery from where? From from the law of God. The law exposes our transgressions, it convicts us of sin, it points out our moral failings. And the law says, here's the line, go no further, and we're forced to confess, I have crossed that line time and time again. And this is the teaching of Scripture. The law reveals our sin. Scripture not only contains the law of God, but it also tells us what that law does. In Romans chapter 3, verse 20, for example, Scripture says that, quote, by the law is the knowledge of sin. All our sins, they, they float to the surface, they come to light through the law with the help of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul He knew that from his own experience. He knew it from his own heart and mind. In Romans chapter 7 and verse 9, he says he was once alive apart from the law. That is, Paul thought he was all good. He didn't really know the law in all its depth. He thought, "Uh, I've grown up in a God-fearing home. I've learned my Bible back to front. I know the doctrines, I follow the rules, and I have no sin that's really that troubling that I need to worry about too much. That's the way he thought. Until the law came and and shredded every self-righteous thought. The law came along like an executioner with a written death warrant. Verse 9 says, I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. In the end, in verse 24, he can only say, wretched man that I am. And what a difference the law made. The self-righteous Pharisee ends up crying out like a, a hopeless, a forlorn tax collector. 
And God's Spirit changed Paul through the commandments. And nothing else could have done it. In verse 7, we read, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would have known, not have known what covetousness is. For I, sorry, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. Nobody knows their sin without the law calling their attention to that sin. We could say the law works like a coach blowing the whistle, saying, hey, that's a foul, that's an illegal move, pay attention. Paul hadn't heard that whistle blow. He studied the law, but in vain. But once he understood the true depth of the law, all of his pride was shattered. The only way Paul could see his sin was through the law calling him out. We could compare the law to a, a road map that shows you the right path. You look at the map to see what street you need to be on. That's where you should be. That's the correct location. But you might realize you're on a totally different street, different suburb, different city. So you look at the map again, and you see that the, the street you're on is a long way off from where you're supposed to be. I can see I'm so, so far from the place that the Lord wants me to be. But without the map, you don't know how far you are from where you're supposed to be. The law is like a, a moral map that shows us how far we have fallen away from God. We've driven off that course. We've turned aside from God's commandments. And the problem is, not the map. We can't blame the map. It's our driving. The problem is our sin. In verse 13, Paul says, sin causes death and the law shows us how horrible that sin is. Verse 13, has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not, but sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. So the fault is with our sin. And God gave us the commandments that sin would become exceedingly sinful. The holy law of God shows us the immeasurable evil of sin. It's more than just forgetting to ritually wash your hands. We see that our sin is truly exceedingly sinful, sinful beyond measure, because the law has mapped out that path and we are nowhere near. And talking about sin might seem mean or discouraging or unnecessary, but actually it's a vital part of Christianity. You can't just have a, a saviour without also having a sinner who needs saving. There is no gospel for sinless people. We have to understand our sin so that we yearn for that gospel and prize that good news of forgiveness. And the law is the way to understand sin. It shows us our true state. It shows us our deepest need 
If that's the case, if God meant for the law to reveal our sinful hearts, then concealing and hiding and denying and minimizing our sin is, is a mistake. Let the law do its work. See your sin. Acknowledge your sinfulness. Let the law convict us, you, of sin, of unrighteousness, and the unthankfulness that is in our lives. And this shows us our need for Christ and his gospel. When you open up God's word, when you hear the instruction of his law, the ten words, do you see your sin reflected back? Do you see your need for a saviour? For most of us, it's not likely that we'll give our time and give our attention to something we don't actually need. Without God's law reminding us of our sin, we will grow prideful, self-sufficient. There's nothing we need from God and from Christ. We are good, we are upright, all on our own. We just coast along, just you know, keep on going week after week. And the result is that we forget God's grace to us. We forget to seek his forgiveness and, and the gospel becomes a little forgotten fact somewhere in the back of your mind. No big deal. But God's commandments remind us that we are sinners and that's why we must come to God every day praying for forgiveness through Jesus Christ. The Lord teaches us our undeniable need for a saviour. And therefore, embrace your weakness, acknowledge your sinfulness, and then every day seek the only saviour of sinners, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who cancels the debt of our lawlessness and evil deeds. And Law's Day 2 goes a step further. We, we saw that the law convicts us of sin, reveals our misery, but how does it do that? The law reveals two ways that we fall short. We fall short in our love to God and also in our love to neighbor. In our second point, we'll see what the law requires. The Lord God commands and he requires that we love him and that we love other people too. The law is heart-shaped, you could say. It's summed up in love, and love is summed up in the law. The Catechism shows us this close connection by citing the teaching of Christ in the Gospels in Matthew 22, verses 37 to 39. And Christ tells us there what's most central, what's most important in God's commandments, quote, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. These two commandments then, they summarize the ten commandments, the ten words of the covenant. God's ten covenant words, they require us to show love so God's law and God's covenant, they require the same thing from us. They require us to show love. And the Lord calls for genuine, 
wholehearted love. The law cannot be fulfilled half-heartedly. And that's why Christ says in Matthew 22, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That means love God with everything you've got. Love God 110%. Love perfectly without hesitation. And hold nothing back. Do you show that kind of love what, what parts of your life are held back from God? Do you reserve a few nights, a few activities in the week for yourself, but not, not for the Lord? Don't go there. Remember what was said about Amaziah, king of Judah? Scripture says... He did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a loyal heart. May God graciously keep us from being disloyal, half-hearted toward our God. The Lord calls for complete, for 24-7 devotion to your triune God. Wholehearted love, all the time, no exceptions. And love to God comes first. The Lord Jesus puts the priorities the right way around. School students, you may have to prioritize whether to study more or get a bit extra sleep. Parents, you have to decide whether to keep working or perhaps spend more time with the family. When it comes to God's law, Christ tells us the the top priority. In Matthew 22, verse 38, Christ says, Love to God is, quote, the great, sorry, the first and great commandment. If you want to uh, do something valuable, if you want to do something important in life, here's the first thing. First thing to do, love God. Serve Him with everything you've got. And Christ teaches that love to God is priority number one. And to prove it, He quotes there in Matthew 22, He's quoting Deuteronomy 6, which says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. It's true in the Old Testament. It's true in the New Testament. God's law requires, in the first place, wholehearted love toward God. In the world, people might look to see if you're doing great things, making a name for yourself, Perhaps your peers focus on what you accomplish, on your talent, your power, or your skill in whatever tasks you might have. But the Lord is interested in your love toward Him and your faithfulness to His covenant. And what a privilege it is, brothers and sisters, to serve Him. The second requirement of love according to the Lord Jesus, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Don't murder or steal. Build up your neighbor's reputation. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. All of this is part of the love that God requires in his law. And like the great commandment, love to God, so the second great commandment, love to neighbor, it's Not a new idea. 
Christ is quoting Leviticus 19, verse 18, which says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's the same law, the same covenant obligations right through Scripture. What a blessed way to live. What a glorious roadmap has God drawn out for us in His law of love. Paul reminds us in Romans 7 of how good that law is when he says in verse 22, I delight in the law of God in my inner being or inward man. But who has ever actually kept that law? Who has kept it completely? Only in Christ. Only in Christ can we see what it looks like for someone to actually perfectly keep that law. In Christ we see perfect faithfulness, perfect love, and obedience to the law of God. At the end of Christ's life, as that end drew near, in John's Gospel, he records, chapter 13, verse 1, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The, the life of our Lord was a life of love until the end, unceasing, unfailing love. Christ did what we could not do. He kept God's law of love every day of his life, and his life of love is freely credited to us lawbreakers. Christ's obedient love is, is a greater gift than anything else you will ever have. His obedience is given to us, and God counts us as perfectly righteous, as if we had loved the way He did and done those holy works that He did. And now we can also serve God in love because Christ first loved us to the point of death. That is the rich, the faithful love of the Savior. It is a love beyond compare. That is what the law calls us to do. It's how the law calls us to live. But Scripture says we're not able. We're not able to love God like that. In our third point, we'll see why I can't keep the law. Nobody can keep God's law. And the reason for that is not because God made the path a little bit too difficult, not because he made the path a little bit too narrow. It's true the law sets a high standard, but we, we mustn't miss the fact that the problem is really our own, and the fault is our own. Answer 5 of the Catechism shows where this problem comes from. Quote, I am inclined by nature to hate God and my neighbor. The problem is that we, we naturally hate God and our neighbor because of sin. Did you notice that that is the exact opposite of God's law? God's, God commands us to love but there's still hatred in our hearts. Even Christians 
regenerated, renewed by the Holy Spirit. Even Christians can't remove all of that pollution and the hatred of sin. We can't get rid of it in this life. And that was the Apostle's great dilemma in Romans chapter 7. He was a believer. He knew what was right and served God by the Spirit. Have a look at verse 25. He says, with, my, with the mind I myself serve the law of God. And he says in verse 18, to will is present with me. That is, to will what is good. Paul says, my desires, my wants are good. And my mind serves God's law. Only a Christian can serve the law of God in that way. But, even though Paul was a genuine believer, he's still not free of sin. In fact, the apostle is still so troubled by his sin that in verse 23, he can say, there's something in me that is, quote, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin. He wrestles with this sin. See, on the one hand, Christians truly know what is good, because the Holy Spirit has shown them, shown us. But on the other hand, we have this baggage of sin that pollutes our hearts. So we have conflicting desires. Like Paul explains in verse 19, the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. I just keep on doing evil. Day after day, hour after hour. Because of what Paul calls the sin that dwells within me. Didn't King David struggle with this same kind of thing? After his sin with Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, he writes in Psalm 51 verse 5, Behold, I, I was brought forth in iniquity, in sin, Did my mother conceive me? Sin is always there. And I can't follow the path of love. Instead, we we feel hatred. We rebel. And there's a war going on inside every Christian. You and me. There's a war with sin and flesh on the one side and the law and our good desires on the other side. My new mind and my fleshly nature are at war with each other. That's what Paul means in verse 25. With the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. In other words, I know what's right. The Spirit has convinced me, but I still carry on sinning. We know the way, but we can't stay on the course. Think of Jonah. He knew the way to go. The Lord says, arise, go to Nineveh. Jonah gets up and flees to Tarshish. We all have to struggle with this. We don't do what we know we're supposed to do. And it's because this war with sin continues. That's why keeping the law, loving God and our neighbor... Is impossible for us. We can't fulfill God's law of love. Are you convinced of that? Have you 
ruled out the possibility of saving yourself with covenant faithfulness? Have you ruled out that possibility of securing your spot in heaven with a holy life? We, we naturally have our sin and misery. We, we produce hate, even though God's law calls for love. So what hope in ourselves and our works is left? There's no, no hope in good works. And God's law forces us to rest, to quit trying to earn God's favor. There's just no way, no way we can keep God's law and save ourselves by it. So rest with faith in Christ. In Christ the Savior. You might try very hard to earn a good standing with God, but it will be in vain. So don't think that God will accept me because I'm a a really good mum, a godly mum. Don't say to yourself, my my salvation will be more, more secure because I work faithfully at my job and I show up on Sundays. We can't earn our place with God. We can't keep his law and that forces us to look for a savior. And that is how God comforts us. Through the revelation of our sin and misery, you see your sin, you despair of your ability to save yourself and you look for a savior. Our responsibility then is to trust Christ for salvation and obey his word in thankfulness for what he has done. We should strive, we must strive to obey God's law in gratitude because we already are right with God. We are forgiven sinners. The grace and salvation of God comes only from one source, And that is the person and work of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Christ alone has lived that life of love and covenant faithfulness. By his life, death and resurrection, he reconciles you to God. The Lord Jesus is our help in time of need. He is our faithful friend and saviour. And what we couldn't do for ourselves, Christ has done. He earns our favour with God. And so we have access to call on God. We have covenant relationship with God only through Christ. The correct reason for you to get out of bed each day of the week is not to earn God's favor. We, we get up and work. We make the breakfast, take the kids to school, do the same jobs over and over. We do all of that because we're so glad that we have this Savior, Jesus Christ, who has redeemed us. And what else could we ultimately need? We may now offer our lives to Him as living sacrifices of thankfulness because the salvation we couldn't earn, Christ has given us that salvation out of the abundance of His steadfast love. May we too reflect that loving obedience of Christ. Christ, our perfect and complete Savior. Amen.